Before we begin today's episode of Potterless, just two quick announcements. First, PotterlessPodcast.com has gotten a facelift thanks to web designer Kelly Beckman. We fleshed out a few of the tabs on the website, most notably the Wizard On tab. The Wizard On tab now has pictures. It has every picture that anyone has ever sent me. That means people wearing Wizard On shirts, people putting Wizard On stickers on stuff in public, people sending in fan art. If you want a picture on the website, just send it my way. Draw up some fan art, take a picture of you in the Wizard On shirt, whatever. Go for it. And also on the Wizard On tab, is the name of everyone that has ever been a patron on patreon.com slash Potterless. So there's other parts of the website that are being fleshed out and are continuing to flush out. So go on and check out potterlesspodcast.com. It's a good time. The second announcement, it is the beginning of the month, meaning that it is charity donation time, as we always do. We give $1 for every patron on patreon.com slash Potterless. And at the beginning of January, we had 70 patrons, which is crazy. So we gave $70 to a charity and the charity that I chose for this month was Lin-Manuel Miranda's toy drive through Toys R Us for Puerto Rico. I just thought it was a very good and timely charity given that the holidays just passed and Puerto Rico's still not doing so well. I know we've given to it for the past couple of charities, but I just think it's a really good cause to give to for the time being. So $70 went there. That's amazing. So yes, if you go to patreon.com slash Potterless and you become a patron, not only are you getting bonus episodes or shirts or stickers or Twitter shoutouts or whatever, but you're also helping us donate to charity every single month. So you're helping yourself, you're helping the podcast and you're helping the world. What's not to love. Speaking of Patreon, we have new patrons to welcome. So welcome to the team, Rory, Allison Ares, Amanda Erder, and Jessica Scott. Thank you guys so much. And of course, thank you an immense amount to our producer-level patrons. That's Leanne, Andreas, Vicky, Aaron, Erica, Calvin, Michael, Sadie, Emily, Chandra, Jesse, Maggie, <gasps> Natalie, Deborah, Daisy, Clout, Michael, Sean, Alexander, and Rebecca. These lovely humans never leave the house wondering if they left the oven on because they never forget to turn it off. So without further ado, let's get into episode 32 of Potterless, guest starring Eric Silver of Join the Party Podcast, discussing chapters 25 through 27 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Internet, welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the journey of a 25-year-old man reading the Harry Potter series for the first time. My name is Mike Schubert, and again, I am joined with what clearly has to be everyone's favorite and most humble guest, (laughs) Eric Silver. (laughs) (laughs) Eric, how's it going? Well, with that amazing intro, I can't be going anywhere other than up because I'm the best. Yeah. (laughs) yeah fresh off an episode that swept the nation let's get back at it to talk chapters 25 through 27 i mean i can i can go back and talk about wizard christmas a little more oh Oh, yeah that was great 10 minutes about wizard christmas five minutes about the weird sisters though i did get a fun tidbit from amanda she said that in the movie the guitarist of the weird sisters was the guy from radiohead so that's fun that's pretty cool that's definitely pretty cool fun little cameo but That's for another place in time. Let's talk about chapters 25 through 27 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, starting with 25, the Beetle at Bay. Hermione's Daily Prophet comes in, and the front page is a bombshell. It's got nine wizards and one witch on it, all of which look menacingly happy. My initial guess, did people break out of Azkaban? Did the Dementors join Teen Voldemort? Two pages later, you find out what's going on. Each picture has a name and a crime under it of what put them into Azkaban. You've got things like Antonin Dolohoff is the murderer of the Pruitts, Augustus Rockwood, he leaked ministry secrets to Voldemort, and then Harry notices a big old picture of Bellatrix. The Daily Prophet, to me, has always stood out as like the Drudge Report. Ugh. It's like there's just like an alarm that comes on and everything's in all caps. <laughs> but like, imagine that the Drudge Report was everywhere and not just on the Twitter trash fire that we have. Yep. <laughs> It's just everywhere. You just see all caps. And it's also the only newspaper that exists. Yeah. The news of the Wizarding World is horrible because you basically have Fox News is the Daily Prophet. And then you've got National Enquirer is the Quibbler. Exactly. And then that's it. That's That's all they have. It's like you get gossip magazines and very slanted political uh, newspapers. And Sean Hannity is really, really into interviewing this one 13-year-old boy and getting (laughs) exclusives with him. He's Sean Hannity needs to know. <laughs> okay. Now that we've lost any listeners that happen to like Trump, uh, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> 
Oh, let's continue. He's drawn to the picture of Bellatrix. And then there, the headline of this article is mass breakout from Azkaban. Ministry fears black is rallying point for old Death Eaters, which is a bunch of bullshit. So the article has all these quotes from Fudge blaming Sirius, saying that he's the only person to ever break out. So he has to be the top suspect because he could have shown all his old Death Eater friends how to do it. I That's the that's the largest leap. Ever like that doesn't very big, not even credible. Like he got, I guess he broke out. But even if you broke out, how would you sneak back in to tell your? You'd have friends? to break back in, tell everyone how to break out, and then break out again. Serious black colon return to New York. Ooh, sequels all over the place. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Gotta love a good sequel, but only if it is something colon electric boogaloo or two something to second something <laughs> serious black to electric boogaloo too serious too black oh that's good to a serious black to the legend of curly's gold <laughs> serious black to judgment day oh that's a good one uh, serious black to lost in new york <laughs> where's hogwarts oh my god i don't know it's somewhere in new york Harry, where are you? We went to Hogwarts and Harry's at home. Do I take the ACE? Where do I go? Is this going uptown or downtown? These muggle trains are so confusing. Harry is still on the Q train. <laughs> what do you mean he's in Brooklyn? Okay. So, <laughs> that was that was a good call to all of our New York listeners out there. Some yeah. Good now that everyone living in every other state has turned off. We only got liberals in New York. Let's see who else we can alienate. <laughs> Oh, man. So this is clearly the thing that Voldemort is happy about. Hermione thinks that Fudge has to blame Sirius because the only other alternative is admitting that he was wrong and Dumbledore was right. And Fudge does not want to do that. So in the Grand Hall, most of the kids are unaware because not everyone gets the Daily Prophet. But clearly every teacher knows what's up because they're whispering to each other or looking really terrified or Umbridge is like downing a bowl of porridge really intensely. So clearly every teacher is spooked. (laughs) Me too. No, she was the... She was what? Oh, you're right. You're right. I thought she was nonchalantly eating a bowl of porridge. No, she's like intensely, terrifiedly eating a bowl of porridge. Yeah, I'm reading it now and I'm just like, oh no, she's super into that porridge. (laughs) Before, I was like, what a weird way to demonstrate that someone doesn't care about the news. (laughs) Oh no, she's actively trying to ignore the news. So Hermione then goes on to page 10, which details that Broderick Bode, who is someone that worked for the Ministry of Magic, was found dead in a St. Mungo's room, strangled by a potted plant. It blames his healer for putting the plant on the bedside table, and she has been suspended. Turns out that the plant was a devil snare disguised to look just like a regular old plant. The ministry doesn't know how it got in. But this is the guy who was in Lockhart's room a couple chapters ago when the kids were in St. Mungo's that was just staring at the ceiling. And in that scene, I didn't write it down in my notes because I didn't think it mattered, but now it does. <laughs> There's a part where the nurse like gives him a plant and is like, here's a Christmas gift. I'm not supposed to give them to you, but what harm could a plant do? Oh yeah, it could murder you. When I was reading this about the devil's snare, this is something I absolutely do as a DM. Mm-hmm. I, I come, I take one very deadly tidbit from like any of like the 5,000 Dungeons and Dragons books and I put it in uh-huh. the campaign and see if anybody notices and then I ruin their lives with those. With it, like five five games later, I'm like, oh, remember that sack of beans you have in your backpack? Well, they were all monsters, and now you're dead. <laughs> oh, heartbreaking! Why didn't you study your herbology better? Get on it. Hang out with Neville Longbottom more. You would have known. Yeah, this is also like. J.K. Rowling is challenging you to remember shit from her old books. Yes. Like, remember how Devil's Snare was such a big deal in, like, book two? <laughs> book one. Oh, book one. That's book right. Book one. Good callback. Good thing I remembered that. Sick callback, J.K. Four books later after trying to well, figure the, out. Well, the other thing is, like, it's not even like there would be any way to guess this because it's just you, you don't know. You don't really get a full vivid description of Devil's Snare. And a couple chapters ago. They just describe it as being a plant. And then two chapters later, they're like, just kidding. It was a murder plant. Ha 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 ha. Didn't see that one coming. But now that they're talking about it, all three of these children that start to blame themselves. Just like me, a child reading this book. Why didn't I figure it out? I would have been able to tell the Ministry of Magic and this man wouldn't have died. (laughs) That's me. That's me as a teen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like you as a teen. I'm going to be on Broadway. (laughs) Who am I going to ask to prom? Why do I have so much homework? What's happening to my body? (laughs) Why won't everyone get... 
<laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Why is everyone at the party without me? I have a rehearsal on Saturday, but my dad won't let me use the car. <laughs> <laughs> My senior quote has to be interesting, but it can also be a little bit funny. I don't know what to do, and I only have 300 characters. <laughs> Uh, it's for the best that my high school did not ask for a senior quote because I would have put some dumb crap in there. <laughs> oh my, God. my senior quote was something that I wrote actually, and it was um, it was a stanza in iambic pentameter with uh, ABAB rhyme scheme. Wow, I'm really glad I didn't know you in high school because I would have fucking hated you. <laughs> if I hated you, mean been best friends and shot hoops outside the school. Uh, yes. Probably. God, we would have been the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's Erickson Shubes coming at you. Eric and Shubes at it again. We're, the, we're recording <laughs> dumb YouTube videos together. Or just those, oh, that would have happened. We would have made it. Sure. We would have made and one mixtapes and tried to submit it to and <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> I did those. I practice those moves all the time. My driveway again. We're back to sports. The the tenant of Potter. Good sports. Good good sports. <laughs> so Harry says he met Bode when he was at the ministry with Mister Weasley. Ron recalls his dad mentioning that Bode was an unspeakable. Which oh baby oh baby. Hermione leaves to go write a letter very abruptly. She says it's not sure if it'll work, but it's worth a try, and she's the only one who can. And then she leaves. And Ron says that he hates that Hermione always does this, and <laughs> he voices a concern that I have. He's like, why doesn't she just stay 10 extra seconds to tell us what she's doing? It's like, Ron, then we wouldn't have JK's big plot reveals where she can just skip shit for two chapters at a time. Duh. It's really funny reading this now. Because it's like Hermione's being obstinate and writing a letter when she could send an email. And we're like, right. we're like, I guess, like, is the postal service like the best way to contact someone? In the wizarding world, it is. Who are you writing a letter to? Like your grandpa who lives in a cabin in the middle of the woods? Like, I don't. <laughs> so they see Hagrid and he's got a new cut on his face and he's been put on probation. So that's a fun thing. <laughs> I mean, it, it's one of these things where like she says it and then we learn more about the actual probation thing later. It's just ugh. so very briefly we learn he's on probation. Then we also learn that rumors are now flying around the halls about the people escaping from Azkaban. All the kids whose relatives dealt with these 10, the example given is Susan Bones, are getting berated with questions and attention and people like whispering behind their backs. And Susan says, oh, I know how you feel now, Harry. So now everyone's starting to sympathize with people bugging Harry about stuff. Uh, I have like five things to say about Susan Bones. Go, go. First of all, Susan Bones is my roller derby name. Okay, nice. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, this is like the second time we've talked about empathy with people who have dealt with emotional trauma. Yeah. In two episodes. Yep. So like first we have Ginny telling Harry that like, oh, you should have just talked to me because we've literally been through the same thing. Yeah. And now this a random person who we really haven't met before is empathizing this bullshit stuff that Harry has been dealing with for how many years? Five years at, at Hogwarts? Yes. People at bugging them and staring at them? Yeah. So I don't know if this is just like teenage growth or like these kids are so dense in their brains that like having a thought that relates to another person is like revolutionary. But like, mm -hmm. cool. Empathy is good. Empathy on. Put that on a t-shirt, Chubes. Empathy on? That can Empathy be a t-shirt on. <laughs> as they say, as they said. As they, they say at Hogwarts. As they, <laughs> as they say at the end of every homeroom at Hogwarts. <laughs> Empathy on. Oh, my Lord. Classic. But yes, regardless, good that empathy is finally happening because Harry's just been like shit on for four books. And now kids are finally like, oh, yeah. Oh, right. OK. Oh, this is how it feels now, Felix. <laughs> Maybe you're not full of crap. Oh, man, I shouldn't have bullied you so much. <laughs> oh, wait. Why was everyone bullying me? I, didn't <laughs> I should have empathized with you. Why aren't people nice to me? Don't they realize I'm an orphan? <laughs> Someone tried to murder me as a child. Now this one time where someone's asking me a question in the hallway, I know how it feels to be attacked by the evil person in our entire universe. I witnessed death in front of my eyes and no one believes me. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to make as my senior quote? <laughs> Why, what am I ever going to get to my Quidditch again? <laughs> <laughs> Why won't anyone sign my yearbook? Why doesn't Cho Chang like me? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>
Okay, now, now that zero people are listening to the podcast, we'll continue on. So, uh, oh shit. Okay. All right, here we go. Here we go. All right, here we go. Here we go. So the kids and teachers are now starting to believe Harry and Dumbledore because the profit article was very sketchy. Umbridge has a new decree. We're up to 26. Teachers are now only allowed to talk to students about subject matter that they teach and nothing else. Lee Jordan has an amazing moment where they're in the back of Defense Against the Dark Arts class. Fred and George are playing Exploding Snaps and Umbridge yells at them to not play that game. And Lee Jordan stands up and goes, that's got nothing to do with Defense Against the Dark Arts, professor. According to decree number 26, you can't do this. And then the narrator Harry's a great bit where it's like, next time Harry saw Lee Jordan, the back of his hand was bleeding badly. Harry Jesus. recommended Essence of Mertlap to him. God. Oh, and that comes up later, which I love. Essence of Mertlap? Yeah. It like, oh. Yeah, because Lee Jordan recommends it to Fred and George for the warts. Yes. Which I loved. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. When I initially wrote Essence of Mertlap in my notes, I put, I'm literally only writing this because I think it may come up later in an intense Harry Potter trivia session one day. There you go. There but you go. it comes up later in this book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also don't like, and I totally forgot about this because it's been so long since I've read this book. Just like the amount of corporal punishment oh that happens God. because of Umbridge. Yes. Harry's like, oh man, you got cut on the back of your arm. You know how in school when you bleed, <laughs> here's the way to you fix that. You get permanently scarred. Man, I forgot how fucked up that was. Yeah, pretty terrible. Jesus. Even in the movie, it's just as excruciating. So the fifth movie is the first of the movies that I haven't really seen. I like half saw the fifth movie because I fell asleep during it. So nice. I'm excited to finally see movies that I haven't like seen before. That being said, I recently rewatched the fourth one after having read the fourth book. The fourth movie is a giant pile of garbage sauce. It's horrible. <laughs> it's so bad. Here's the secret though. All of the movies are bad. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if I just missed the boat, but did everybody hate the movies? Because I don't understand how anyone liked them. I'm so frustrated every time I watch them because it's kind of like they sat in a meeting and they were like, okay, what's the good parts of this book? And they put them in one column. And they're like, what are the bad parts? Put them in the other column. Let's make sure all of these parts are in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. The movies were just like, it was an extension of the first time, I guess, an hour, you know, that millennial timeline when it was like a book to movie extension. Yeah. It was like, oh, this thing I've already experienced with, I want to see it in a different medium. And especially because the first movies, didn't, they came out before the series was over. They did. So there was like a lot of overlap and the momentum kept going. So it was like, no, all those movies are trash. And those 12 year olds did not know how to act at all. Um, <laughs> but here we are, I guess. But even then, by the end, Rupert Grint just looks like a wet possum in all time. <laughs> the one thing I will give to the movies, especially the fourth, the casting of the adults is amazing. Oh, yeah. Like, David Tennant is freaking Barty Crouch Jr. They're getting high names for very minimal roles, and the guy who plays Moody kills it. He kills. Oh, yeah. Really great performance. Obviously, Maggie Smith murders it as McGonagall. New Dumbledore blows. New Dumbledore <laughs> is so bad. New Dumbledore just got mad at everything. It's kind of like someone, like, grabbed the Dumbledore remote and then accidentally turned the volume knob up to a 1,000 because <laughs> he just yells every line, pinnacled with the, did you put your name in the goblet? He whispered, like, <laughs> it's really bad. Uh, this further confirms that there's only, like, 20 actors in all of the UK. (laughs) They're just in everything. You just get David Tennant in there. (laughs) This is also the same thing with Radiohead, like we were saying before, right in the beginning. Only a couple bands. Like Only a few bands, too. Just get Tom York in there, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So now we learn what probation means. Probation means that every class is now monitored by Umbridge, and the teachers are not actually on probation. I don't know why they called this probation. It's clearly not probation because they're still allowed to teach. It's just intense monitoring by Umbridge. She's allowed to interrupt as much as she wants. And the first instance we see of this is in Trelawney's class. She is bugging out both in the classroom and in the hallways. She is freaking out about these new probation lessons. Hagrid is also affected. He hasn't shown 
any animal that is more dangerous than a Krupp, which is described as a Jack Russell Terrier with a forked tail, which sounds amazingly adorable. I want to play with that very badly. Uh, this was another thing where I was like, as a former teacher, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a thing that happens all the time and is the worst thing in the entire world. If any of you have teacher friends out there, ask them what an observation is like and, oh, it, they, and just horrible. point to this and then be like, oh, it is pretty much just this with less blood and evil murder <laughs> just a little bit less though just a little bit a little bit less before we move on mentioning the jack russell terrier potterless has an official dog uh named yes, kingsley, kingsley who is part jack russell terrier so basically someone on twitter said that they were listening to potterless before they adopted a dog and at one of the episodes i said why don't people name more of their like when people have pets and they name their after harry potter things i feel like crookshanks is very common why aren't more pets named kingsley shacklebolt it's definitely the best name <laughs> in the series and then someone tweeted at me like i listened to it kingsley sounded like a great name my dog is now named kingsley so kingsley is now the official dog of potterless and today it was tweeted that he graduated from puppy school and he's going to be a therapy dog i saw that Kingsley, the most adorable thing in the world. Kingsley is so adorable. I just, I hope I get to meet him one day. I hope it so. It would make me, uh, I can't, I'm so excited. I don't, I'm pretty sure I want to meet him more than J.K. Rowling. That's amazing. <laughs> well, because if I meet J.K. Rowling, it would just be bad. I would just berate her with questions. Hi, be like, hi my name's Mike man. and I didn't listen to you. I didn't read your books until I was an old man. <laughs> now my life is based on this principle. <laughs> <laughs> So though he's showing them cute animals, he's distracted, he's jumpy by Umbridge's presence. It's just it's just throwing him off. Hagrid also forbade the kids from visiting him in his his little hut outside the forest after dark because he's afraid that they'll all get in trouble for it. Harry's mad that basically all the stuff he likes at the school is being taken away, so he doubles down on DA stuff. He says that everyone's working really hard, especially with the news being out, because they really want to be up on their defense game in case they encounter one of these Azkaban prisoners. Neville has a huge leap in improvement. He's like Chris Porzingis from his second season to his third season in the NBA. He is just absolutely killing the magic game. You're silently shaking yep. your head. Yep, the good reference. I appreciate that reference. And again, love all of your... All of the sports, sports, all of the sports people out there. Love well, we were limited. We were limited to New York liberals, so I had to throw That's in true. New York liberal <laughs> sports, the New York basketball player. Perfect. Uh, so basically, Neville's taken a huge leap in improvement, which makes me really happy because Neville has been shit on for four consecutive books. Now he's finally becoming awesome, and I'm really excited to get to the theory, the Neville's the chosen one theory. I want to figure this one out so much, and I just have not gotten there yet. Hmm. So Neville doesn't speak that much in these lessons, but he's concentrating really hard and very intently on the spells. So that's good. But you know what's not good? Harry's oculumency lessons. Yep. <laughs> he's terrible at it. His scar hurts all the time. He feels Voldemort's emotions more strongly and more often. He has the corridor dream every night. So <laughs> not going well. Just like physics. At all. Just like when I took AP <laughs> Physics B. <laughs> Ron is back on his bullshit, theorizes that Snape is probably opening Harry's mind to make it easier for Voldemort to infiltrate it. I gotta say, we made a joke about this before that, like, you shouldn't be teaching by doing yep. all of these dangerous shit. Yeah. But, like, that's all it feels is, like, he's not getting better. He he gets this bullshit advice to clear his mind. Like, that doesn't sound like good, good teaching. No. So, like, at least this one actually seems plausible because Snape sucks. He does. So, like, he could do something bad like that. Yeah, and they don't know that Snape turns out to be a good guy in the end and says always because he's a big crush on Harry's mom. They don't know that yet. I, I never know how many spoilers you have or not, or not, Jubes. I think all that's left, the major ones, is that Dumbledore gets murdered by Snape, I think, for a good reason. Uh, and then Snape is good. I think those are the only like two big plot twists mm. that I know. Good. Uh, you don't know that Tonks turns into a unicorn. That's good. No. Uh, oh, no. I spoiled you? it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Hermione has a great quote where she says, how many times have you suspected Snape and when have you ever been right? Which, mm, beautiful, Hermione. February arrives, a.k.a. smang it with Cho Chang at Hogsmeade Day. Yay. So Hermione received a letter from an unfamiliar brown owl and she is pleased. She tells Harry that it's very important, but they can't discuss it now. They need to discuss it at the three broomsticks at noon at Hogsmeade mm -hmm. because she has to write her letter back immediately. There you go. <laughs> 
Harry says, I don't know. Cho might be expecting me to spend the whole day with her. And Hermione says, whatever, bring her along if you must. I just can't talk now. I got to reply oh, to this. No. Letter. Oh, God. Yep. Yep. This, yep. This gave me so bad. I had a pit in the middle of my stomach. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I know this trap. I've been in this trap. I have fallen directly into and died in this trap. No, no. It's bad. It's bad news. Ron can't go to Hogsmeade because Angelina is making the Quidditch team have, a, have an all day practice since they have the new members. The team is basically garbage now that the twins so and Harry garbage. are gone. They're, They're so really bad. bad. They're effectively the Atlanta Hawks at this point. Got, got them. <laughs> oh, I could have said the Brooklyn Nets because we're limited to New York people, but the Nets aren't actually that. No, they're not as bad. They have as a lot Hawks. of potential as the Hawks, and this is our new NBA NBA podcast <laughs> M- with Eric and Shoes. We pivoted. So Harry goes to meet Cho. They leave, and it's at first very awkward until Harry looks longingly at the Quidditch practice, and Cho brings up, "Oh, remember that time we played Quidditch against each other?" And Oliver Wood said that you should be rough to me and not nice. Ha ha ha! How's Oliver doing? And Harry says that he's on. P- Puddlemere, oh, sorry, Puddlemere United. Listen, get at me, J.K. Rowling, when you want to make funny wizard jokes about things that happen in the real world. You got it. This is a very good reference to Manchester United and how all soccer teams are named United just all over the place. A lot of them. So this is very good. Good reference. Good. But it's solid. I still have many things to talk to you about Wizard Christmas. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) So let's see. They're they're just about to arrive at Hogsmeade and Pansy and a bunch of Slytherin girls. Fuck Pansy. She's the worst. Fuck her. She's the worst. They basically walk in and shit talk Cho for going on a date with Harry. Pansy then goes on to say, at least Diggory was attractive. Pansy, that's not cool. He's dead. He's dead. You don't talk about dead people. No. Good looking when he was alive. That's not not murdered by the Dark Lord. (laughs) (laughs) You you know when you'd call people out about their dead boyfriends? So good. Yeah, I love it. Makes you really sympathetic as a character. Mm. So they get to Hogsmeade and they see a bunch of signs giving out a thousand galleon rewards. Oh, wait, sorry. Wait, I have some really strong feelings about something. Hey, people who identify as Slytherin in their houses, I'm sorry that people think you're evil, but read the books for like five (laughs) seconds. I'm sorry that they're all aligned with the big bad in your book. I'm sorry that they say terrible things about people's dead boyfriends and you all think it's about ambition, but like you're coded as the bad house. I'm sorry (laughs) that it's that there's a four house system and there's a good versus bad thing. I'm Hufflepuff and I love food and you give me shit for it, but at least I'm not evil in the entirety of a YA series. It's too real. It's too real. Got him. Got him. Wrecked. (laughs) It's it's funny because like people will I think similarly where people try to paint Slytherin is like, oh, they're just cunning and ambitious. People kind of do the same with Hufflepuff because at least for five books, we know nothing about Hufflepuff except that they're near the kitchen and Zachariah Smith sucks. That's all we know about <laughs> Hufflepuff. First of all, I love the fact that they're near the kitchen. Oh, I do and too. I'm realizing that I've gotten more things about Hufflepuff from a ver- from a very Potter musical than the actual than actual canon yeah Yeah. i i've told people that hufflepuffs are great finders more more times than i can remember and i'm like oh wait that's not from the book no that's that's from from the musical musical. yeah oh wow my girlfriend's hufflepuff and she says it all the time because i'm really bad at finding things like the number of times i've said the sentence where my keys is probably in the quadrillions but my girlfriend very good at finding things and kelly will often say you know, whenever she finds the thing, Hufflepuffs are good finders. And I'm pretty sure she thinks it's from the books. Exactly. No, I thought it too. And then I realized it's from the musical because they say it as a punchline when like in the begin in the first musical, when like they're doing like a musical introduction to all the houses. Uh-huh. And they, of course, the punchline is Hufflepuff sucks. It's just like Hufflepuff are good finders. And then they, everyone laughs and moves on. Thanks, University oh, wow. of Michigan. And Darren Chris. <laughs> oh, Darren Chris made that? Yeah, he was Harry. I didn't know that. I didn't read the books. <laughs> that's where Darren, that's where everyone found him from these mess oh. from these YouTube. That's how you go. You go from YouTube, most like you being a uh-huh. Vine star, of course, like your crossover hit. Oh, kill me. Um, he went from YouTube and then it became a, uh, he was on Glee. So it's just like a direct line. So you're going to be on Glee. Never watch an episode of Glee. Looks like I'll make a podcast called Glee Earless where I <laughs> watch Glee and talk about it. <laughs> As they say in Glee, wizard on. Glee Glee on. (laughs) Musical on. 
So let's. Oh, shit. They arrive at Hogsmeade and they see a bunch of signs giving out a thousand galleon rewards to anyone who has information on the people who escaped. Cho brings up my literal exact prediction, citing that it's weird that when Sirius escaped, Dementors are everywhere, but now 10 people break out and there's no Dementors anywhere. So this is clearly what Voldemort's happy about is that Dementors have joined Team Voldemort, just like Dumbledore warned was going to happen. Right. And thus no one is watching over Azkaban, thus 10 people can escape. So. This makes me really happy because I'm doing really good at predicting things in book five. Not so good in books one through four. It's probably because everything in book five is a procedurally created political (laughs) drama that you're grafting onto your your magical fantasy young adult series. Really glad that I brought you on for this book that you clearly love. Uh, Cho Chang asks Harry if they want to get coffee, which I think is the first time that coffee has been mentioned to exist in the wizarding world. Probably. Cho says that they should go to Madame Puttyfoot's. Which not a name. No one is named Puddy. Yeah, they have one in in um they have one in Hogsmeade and they have one in Williamsburg. It's described as quote a small tea shop that Harry never noticed before. Yeah, because J.K. Rowling just thought about it for this book. <laughs> <laughs> so we get the return of Roger Davies, which is tight. He's there holding hands with quote a pretty blonde girl. So he has a type because Fleur was also a pretty blonde girl. Got him. And Clearly, Roger Davies has just got some mad game. So basically, the entire tea room is filled with couples all holding hands with these little cherubs that float above the table and spray out pink confetti. No different than any other Valentine's Day decorations in like a real (laughs) shop. Like totally like in your face. And everyone has been on that date. When you're like, you're not making out with your person, but like everyone else is making out with their person around you. Uh And you're like, should I should we be? Should we be also doing this? uh, Do I, how do I put my face on? Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) On your face. (laughs) Harry notices that everyone is coupley and holding hands and he's nervous that Cho will expect the same. And I can relate so much. Yep, yep, yep. And then Roger Davies starts kissing his girlfriend and Harry's like, oh no, wait, am I going to have to do this too? Which I think is weird because he's already kissed Cho Chang. So I don't know why he's so nervous about it if they've already had their first kiss. Yeah. But he's freaking out, which I can still relate to. Oh, man, this quote. Amazing how much more difficult it was to extend his arm 12 inches and touch her hair than to snatch a a speeding snitch from midair. Yep. Yep. (laughs) We're in a wizarding YA novel. (laughs) So Harry, with no tact at all, brings up meeting Hermione at noon without any context. He's just straight up like, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, do you want to come with me to hang out with Hermione at noon? And Cho's like, what? He's like, oh yeah, Hermione asked me to go meet her at noon. I was going to do it. She said you could come along. It's no big deal. It's like, Harry, you've got to frame this better. You can't just spring this on her when everyone thinks you have a crush on Hermione because you always hang out with her all the time. Not a good move. So Cho does not take this very well. And she has her hand on top of the table, just waiting for Harry to grab it. And this is when Harry has the just do it, just reach out and grab it thing where, as you said, with the, you know, great quote. how easy it is to grab a snitch, but not to grab her hand. And I can totally relate. I've been on like seventh grade, go to the movies with your girlfriend and you're just sitting there like with both of your arms on the armrest and you totally should. But for 30 minutes, I'm just like, oh, my God, what if she hates me? Uh, it's yeah, I've been there. Man. Oh, yeah. I've totally been there. Just as Harry goes to grab her hand, she kind of puts it away, looks at Roger Davies, and then out of nowhere, oh yeah, he asked me out a couple weeks ago, but I turned him down. Super awkward move, Cho Chang. Then she goes on, she's like, oh, by the way, I came here last year with Cedric. Cho, baby, what is you doing? Uh, Happy (laughs) Valentine's Day. I got you a present. It's emotional trauma. She then asks Harry if Cedric ever talked about her, and no. which is just, uh, and Harry's like, well, he didn't really have time to. We were kind of in the maze. Oh, good. Like, wait, wait. When I thought he said that, I'm like, he didn't really have time. He was too busy dying. Oh, <laughs> oh good. Yours is much better than that. <laughs> Oh, man. So Harry's like, hey, let's not talk about Cedric. And then she starts crying and saying that they both need to talk about it, which is good. It's like, I agree with you, but there's a time and place and it's not on a Valentine's Day date in the lovey-dovey coffee shop. Do this differently. So Harry mentions that he has talked about it just with Hermione and Ron. And she gets super mad. It's like, oh, if you like talking to Hermione so much, why don't you just leave and go talk to her like you obviously want to? And it's like, girl, they're friends. Like, you didn't even exist until the end of the third book. Like, (laughs) 
he's he's best friends with her. So she storms off because Harry laughs about the thought of being romantically interested in Hermione, which is, again, not a good look. Nope. Cho storms off in a bunch of tears, and then Harry goes into the three broomsticks, sees Hagrid with new cuts on his face. Harry asks about them. Hagrid dodges the question, and then he leaves. Hermione enters, sits at a table with Luna Lovegood, and plot twist I did not see coming, Rita Skeeter. Yeah, Sean Hannity with cat-eye glasses sitting right there. (laughs) So Rita doesn't know why she's there either, because clearly Hermione can just never tell anyone anything Mm. until everyone's in the same room. And she keeps pressing Harry about his love life and all these other things. She's still trying to be gossipy towards Harry. Rita starts talking smack about how Harry feels that he's been dragged by the prophet. Harry says that he could name names of the Death Eaters, and she says that she'd love to write that article. But Hermione wouldn't want that, clearly. Turns out that's exactly what Hermione wants. So Luna, who is singing Weasley Weasley is our king under her breath and stirring her drink with, quote, a cocktail onion, which is not a thing. Right? That's not Luna Lovegood is my favorite character. (laughs) She's the best. She is there because her dad is the editor of The Quibbler, and he has agreed to putting this article in his magazine. Rita's like, oh, the prophet would never publish this unless we frame it as Harry being crazy. And she does admit that Fudge is a big influence on what the prophet puts out. Rita admits that the profit exists to sell itself. Luna chimes in that her dad thinks it's rubbish. Rita asks who he works for. She says the quibbler. Rita laughs at her. And then Hermione says, look, people are really hungry for an article about what happened since the profit's story about the breakout was so lacking. So we're going to put the article in the quibbler. Rita asks how much money. Luna says that writers don't get paid there. They do it for honor and publicity. And ooh, fuck that working uh, for free bullshit. Yeah, I really like Never this media, do that. I love this media critique in the middle of this book. It's, it's not good. So Hermione basically blackmails her into doing it because of the animals thing. I bet the prophet would love an insider's take on life of Azkaban is her quote, which is cold-blooded. And then Rita agrees, starts to interview Harry, and that is the end of chapter 25. Nice. So then we get into chapter 26, seen and unforeseen. So we get back to school, and Neville supports Harry for deciding to go through with this interview because Harry told him about it. He's very proud of him. Cho is in the grand hall at lunch, sits down and ignores Harry. Hermione sees this and goes, oh yeah, how'd the date with Cho go? Oh my God. Harry tells her the story and Hermione's like, you idiot. You had to do better context for saying you're going to meet me. And he, she gives this whole thing where she's like, you should have said like, you really don't want to do it, but you're making me do it. Can you please come with me, Cho, so that we can get out of there faster? Like Hermione gives this amazing lie and it makes me sad that she didn't tell him this before because she didn't realize that Harry's the biggest idiot on the planet yep. and that he wouldn't think of this. But you can't ask her to do everything. Teenage girls are 17 steps ahead of everyone else. They need to run the world. Just, I just need a handbook. I, oh, my God. I've also done this, too. Like, someone has given me a very simple action to do, but I have, like, two things going on at the same time. And then I botch uh-huh. both of them. I was yep. like, why did you do that? I'm like, you told me to do two things. I don't know what to do. So I feel you. <laughs> So Ginny and Ron come back from Quidditch practice and they say it was horrible. But apparently Ginny is doing very well. Fred and George are confused. They're like, how did Ginny get so good at Quidditch? Hermione says that she used to steal their brooms from the boys when they weren't looking because they never let her play with them. George says that if they lose to Hufflepuff and they have to hear Zachariah Smith talk about how great it was, he'll have to kill himself. And Fred says, kill him more like it. Fred is really doing very well in the fifth book. Oh, yeah. For a long time, it was like Fred and George kind of interchangeable. Fred has a lot of very solid quotes in the fifth book that make me like Fred more than George. That's good. I'm glad that you picked uh, the side of which one. I've picked my favorite. The match then happens and it goes horribly wrong. It lasts 22 minutes and Ron gave up 24 goals. Oh, Ron. Which is a very bad efficiency rating. The beaters were really bad. Ginny pulls a Victor Crumb, though, and snags the snitch when they're losing by 160, which makes me so mad. It's like, J.K. Rowling, stop trying to make this a thing. This would never happen. This would never happen in sports ever. Ginny would be aware of the score before grabbing the snitch. Like, I hate that she's trying to justify her terrible scoring system by making this dumb situation happen twice in two books. It's so stupid. Shoobs, I have to tell you something. What? Quidditch is not so bad. It, it is so bad. Why is it good? It's the worst. You have to under, okay, the way that I understand it is like 
It's like you're playing hockey. I think it's a lot closer to hockey than anything else. It's like you're moving and you don't necessarily have an idea of what the time or the score is. Like you're not looking, even when you're playing basketball and there is a scorekeeper, you don't know what the time or the score should be or you shouldn't be looking at all because you're not paying attention because you're flying on a broom that's going like upside down and everywhere. So like if Ron is letting in all these goals, right? Ginny, that's not Ginny's job. Ron and the beaters are doing a very bad job. Yeah. I don't think it's sports. And also, like it's fake Ugh. like it's setting up like, i know i know i would not play quidditch at all but i will accept that she has put in a fake sport into her get into her <laughs> book and i like it fake sports are hilarious because i never have to play them i don't get why everyone like this should be a common thing like this should be an occurrence that people playing the sport are aware of so there should be some sort of thing where everyone's yelling like don't grab it yet <laughs> And wait until we score one more time. I don't know. I feel like if you know that it's going to end the game, like you should be aware of the score or you should be flying and asking people like, what's the score? I don't but know. This is kind of like what I, I mean, this is totally off base, but like the way that cricket works um, is like it goes oh, on forever, it but it can go yeah. on forever. Yes. So it's like the Quidditch has an unlimited time frame. It's like if you're going to mm -hmm. lose, then just end it. I think that was what Ginny was doing. Like, she's doing her job. That's, yeah, could she's be. Not, that's true. They're getting destroyed. And, like, there's no coach, really. Yeah. There's no coach there in Quidditch, and they coach. can't really be unless you have, like, the coach quarterback stuff in football, which wouldn't make any sense because it's not like one person is directing. It's frenetic. Yeah. And everyone else sucks on this team. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. Ginny's the only good. Ginny and Angelina and Alicia are holding it down. That's about it. Exactly. And Ginny doesn't even want to be a seeker. No, she doesn't. She's so, she's very talented, but doesn't want to be the position. She's playing out of position. Exactly. She's not a stretch four. <laughs> oh, man. That was a joke Love only it. for shoes. <laughs> Harry congratulates her on the catch. She then goes on to mention that she would rather be a chaser. She wants to do that next year since Angelina and Alicia are both graduating. And then Harry does this thing where he's like, uh, if she would have grabbed it at this one point when they were only down by 150, she could have made like he's correct. He's Monday morning quarterbacking her play. It's like, get over yourself, Harry. Uh, sorry, you got banned. This, this is her first game ever. Yeah, maybe don't punch Malfoy if you want to keep playing Quidditch. So Ron is really sad because he did not play well at all. And Fred says, quote, I don't even have it in me to take the Mickey out of him. <laughs> Just killing it. Got him. Absolutely killing it. Harry goes to bed, has a corridor dream again, but this time the door is open. But before he can open it, Ron snores really loudly and wakes him up. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so at breakfast the next morning, everyone's on edge for the profit. Harry gets a horde of owls with mail because the Quibbler article has posted. Yeah. So you'd learn that most people actually believe Harry. A lot of the letters that he got was like fan mail of people saying, you know, I, I actually believe you. I'm sorry that the prophet is being so mean to you, blah, blah, blah. When Umbridge finds out, she bans him from future trips to Hogsmeade, takes 50 points away from Gryffindor. They have to be in the negatives at this point yep. because they haven't done well in Quidditch. And she gives him another week of detention. There's also a new decree the next day that anyone with a copy of the Quibbler gets expelled. Oh my God. So all the kids to get around this do these spells where they tear the pages out and then put these jinxes on it where if anyone is reading the page that isn't the kid it looks like a textbook or blank which is amazing i love that that's like you're hiding your fidget so spinner good. and you gotta like stick Ugh. it on your body somewhere and you can just keep spinning it like yes i high so schooler good. ingenuity hell yeah <laughs> hermione is really excited about this because she makes the completely accurate assumption that if it's banned now everyone's going to want to read it, which is true. Everyone does with these jinxes. Cho then comes up and apologizes to Harry, says that the interview was so brave that it made her cry, which, as we've learned, does not take much to make Cho Chan I don't cry. like this. I don't like that Cho Crying is, is kind thing. of her thing. I don't want it that to be her thing. I don't either. Why is there not a guidance counselor <laughs> at the school for Cho to see? That she clearly needs it. Her emotions are not doing all right. But she was also like really smart and like on all these qualities. Pretty and popular and good at Quidditch. Yeah, that and Harry to like fall for her. And now her thing is being emotionally battered. Yep. Like I don't like that you're gaining that as a quality. No. Like, like sorry that. that you were, it was Valentine's Day and you were dating a guy who a year ago who's now dead. Like, mm -hmm. uh, mm, God. Yep. Ah. yep. Be more yep, complex, yep, yep, yep. please. <laughs> <laughs>
get to plot points sooner and just like flesh out some characters a little more. <sighs> so Seamus says he believes him, which makes Harry really happy because Seamus was being anti-believing Harry. And Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle are super pissed. And those are the two things that Harry said make him feel the best about the interview. Nice. So that's good. Fred and George have put a charm on the Quibbler cover in the common room that makes it enormous and makes Harry's head occasionally say things like, the ministry are morons and eat dung, Umbridge. And I know it's not going to be in the movie, but I want it to be so yeah. badly because that sounds hilarious. Hey, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors who make this show possible. This episode of Potter List is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want. And then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me. And then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can right get 10% off get, your first purchase right now, by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you collect some cards or rip open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Harry goes to bed, has the dream, but this dream that he has is finally not the corridor dream. It's where he sees this Voldemort interaction, where Voldemort is talking to Rockwood, who is talking about the weapon. Voldemort says that Avery told him Bode could get to it. Rockwood said, no, there's no way he would know, which is why he stood up so much to Malfoy's imperious curse. Rockwood leaves, and then Dream Harry walks over to a mirror and sees Voldemort's face in the reflection, and Harry screams, no! And then Ron goes to save him. I always wanted Harry to do that and just be like, look at my forked tongue. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's basically, I mean, it's basically face off <laughs> when John Travolta realizes he's stuck with Nicolas Cage's face in the prison and Nicolas Cage has John Travolta's face. <laughs> Good reference. It's a great one. It's so accurate. Ron and Harry go to talk about it, and Harry feels the anger of Voldemort, a.k.a. probably Voldemort murdering Avery. The next day, Ron and Harry tell Hermione. So Hermione's theory is that the weapon is so strong that when Bode touched it, he got hurt, and the Imperius curse that was under him was lifted, and he was in the hospital, and the Death Eaters knew that if they let him heal, he would have squealed, so then they would have had to deal with him via murder, so they had to kill him. Good murder, everybody. I've, good job mm, murdering. Good, yay, murder. So Harry remembers Malfoy being in the ministry the day of his trial, and him and Hermione realize that this wasn't him snooping on Harry's trial, but instead links back to the Sturgis Podmore thing, because that day, that morning, Sturgis was arrested for trying to go through a forbidden door, which is this ministry of mysteries. And they don't know exactly what it was, but their theories are that either they had him under their, an imperious curse too, or he was there with the invisibility cloak and it was like a wrong place, wrong time thing where when 
Lucius or someone else tried to open it, he happened to be there too. So they don't know exactly how it's tied together, but they do connect the two dots that Sturgis and Lucius and Bode are all intertwined in this opening of the door to the weapon. It's these really great plot points that make me love the Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> Just plot points scattered across the book. It's like, hey, there's a basilisk. How do I kill it? All right. Yeah, there you go. And then we got to. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Let's move on. So we move on to more oculumency. So Snape asks about the memory because he does the thing and he sees this dream thing. And Harry says that it's a dream. Snape scolds him for making no progress in two months. <laughs> Snape says it's not Harry's job to find out what Voldemort is saying to the Death Eaters. And Harry quips back with, that's your job, isn't it? And Snape agrees, which is interesting mm. so we got to learn somehow how snape is hearing in on the conversations i don't know if it's like the dark mark also works like the scar where snape can sometimes feel what the death eaters feel but i'm thinking that maybe has something to do it's the only guess i have yeah, so yeah you thought about it there you go <laughs> <laughs> so they do another round of occlumency stuff harry starts fighting it uses protego which is the shield charm and then he starts seeing Snape's memories. Oh, God, this was the worst. It was bad because you get like Snape crying with his parents arguing and Snape like being alone in his room as a wizard. So it's all unpleasant Snape family situation memories, which is really sad. Then they do round three and you get the corridor dream again. But Harry finally goes through the door. And when he goes through the door, it's a room with black floors and black walls. And it's a circular room with a bunch of doors. And then Snape yells at him for not fighting back. <sighs> Yeah. While Snape is yelling at him, Harry interrupts, saying, why do you always call Voldemort the Dark Lord? Only Death Eaters do that. And before Snape can say anything else, they hear a scream coming from outside the room. So it seems like someone's in danger, but it's just Trelawney getting fired. Oh, my God. <laughs> this <laughs> Which is part a very sad was, it's so sad. It's like, hey, let's get all the students to watch you be a terrible yep. person. Yep. So basically, this is happening in the main hallway of the entrance to the school. She's crying her eyes out. Her bags and luggage have been thrown down the stairwell at her. And Umbridge is basically telling her she's been fired and she needs to leave. Trelawney is distraught. She says she's been teaching there for 16 years. McGonagall comes up, consoles her, and says, look, you're not actually going to have to leave. And Umbridge says, what authority do you have to make that statement? And Dumbledore does the classic movie trope where he opens the doors and then delivers the line, that would be mine. Like, he's sitting behind the door just <laughs> waiting for this question to be asked and then kicks it open and is like, dramatic entrance, I'm Dumbledore. That fits with the Dumbledore, like, from... Potter Puppet Pals. Yes. And from uh, a very Potter musical, just like his flair for the dramatic is <laughs> bananas. It's like, hey, I'm going to have a pet that explodes for fun. <laughs> That's the kind of guy I am. That's me. I'm Albus Dumbledore. I tweet in all caps, Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> So he notes that though the Inquisitor can sack teachers, only the headmaster can send people out of the castle. So she's going to still have room and board, just not teach. Umbridge asks, well, what are you going to do when I assign a new teacher and it needs her lodgings? And Dumbledore says, I already have a replacement lined up and he prefers the ground floor. And she says, what? Oh, wait, and he can I do some Foley while you while you walk through this? Yeah, sure. Clip, clip clop. Clip clop, <laughs> clip clop, clip clop, clip clop. So it comes and it says that under decree 22, Umbridge can't hire a new teacher if Dumbledore already has a replacement. And you learn that the replacement, he makes this dramatic entrance in the front door. It's clip -clop. Frenzy the Minotaur. <laughs> you, know, you know, a very serviceable choice. Yeah, that that guy from four four books ago. Was he in the, was it the second book was him? Or was the no, it was the book? first book. It was the, was it, first, no, it was book. the first one because they were going through the forest. Yeah. Yeah, they're the going spiders. through the forest. Yeah, and they're right. like, and they're like, nah. Sorry about the spiders. <laughs> yep. So then we get into chapter 27, the centaur and the sneak. And this is something where like the first half, like basically nothing happens. And then the second half, everything happens. That's true. The first half is just like a bunch of teenage it's girls so being like, blah. look, he's just like a European exchange teacher. <laughs> but he's a half horse. Hermione first predicts that Umbridge will want revenge on Dumbledore for doing this. And she has to be right. Like there's no way that she won't seek out revenge. They head to Divination, which is in a room that has been effectively 
turned into an indoor forest. Amazing. Which is pretty cool. Amazing. He's basically an atrocious teacher because he spends the entire lesson first just smack talking humans that try to predict things are really bad and they're never right and human methods are awful. He then goes on just this big tangent about how minotaur methods are the best, but they're not always correct. So it's just this like weird thing where they don't actually learn anything. They look up at the stars. They use these smoke signals that the kids can't see. And Ron basically afterwards is like, that guy was, that guy was shit. <laughs> he, was, he was really bad. And, but you're right. All the girls like fawn over him because he's European and, and fancy. fancy and gorgeous and blonde. And has and blah, four blah, blah. legs, Ooh, which is yeah. tight. I don't know. I kind of like how even though J.K. Rowling has put this class like in her magic book she still has a character come in and be like no nah, this is bullshit man i don't even know <laughs> yep after class friends pulls harry aside and he says you need to tell hagrid that his attempt is not working and he must abandon it so this makes me think that all the scars are hagrid like trying to have some awesome monster to use for a caramagical creatures class and it's mm. not gonna work to avoid him getting sacked. Please don't do it. So don't. Harry tries to go on to relay this message to Hagrid, but Hagrid ignores it. So, mm, womp womp. The DA then meets again, and they start working on Patronuses, which is cool. All the kids are really excited to do it. Girls like Lavender are excited about how pretty they are. Harry's like, they're not supposed to be pretty. They're supposed to protect you. Hey, we talked about empathy, Shoops. <laughs> please be empathetic to the child who almost died. Again, please. True, true, true. Uh, Hermione's basically the only one that can actually get a Patronus. Her Patronus is an otter. Some people are showing like little spurts and stuff like that. Neville's trying so hard that his face is beat red and he's sweating. He's trying super intensely. Can so we be go- nice to Neville? Book? I want to. I, yeah, they, they started to be nice to him and then they were right back to being mean. I want them to be nice to him again. But anyway, they're halfway through this lesson and Dobby enters the room and he's freaking out. Harry has to like do all these things to get Dobby to stop like banging his head against the wall or like hitting him his head into Harry's knees and like hitting himself with his hand. And finally, he gets the message out from Dobby that Umbridge is on her way to shut down the meeting. The kids are all scared and Harry does this thing where he screams. He's like, well, what are you waiting for? Leave! And then everyone (laughs) runs out in different directions. Everyone scatter. Yeah, it's basically scatter from the John Mulaney stand-up bit. (laughs) Scatter! (laughs) So they're all running away and stuff and everyone is getting away and Harry's about to get away. He's about to get into the boys' bathroom and pretend that he was just taking a dump the whole time. (laughs) But but he trips from Malfoy's tripping charm which makes him fall and slide six feet on the ground and then umbridge takes him into dumbledore's office which is filled with a whole cohort of people we've got cornelius fudge umbridge some guy who is unnamed this gray-haired person that's guarding the door along with kingsley shacklebolt and then mcgonagall and I don't know if I already said Dumbledore, but he's there too. Oh, I'm sorry. You missed your favorite person in the entire Harry Potter series. I said Kingsley Shacklebolt. Percy Weasley. Oh, no. I forgot Percy was there. <laughs> if, I blocked it in my brain that Percy I gotta was there. I got to say, you have all of these Percy apologists out there who listen to Potterless. I don't, this, there's like a couple people. This is people. some shit. This is some deep shit. This is like there's no bending out of it. Like, oh, this is like his job or something. He was just following orders. Like, come on, dog. No. He is in Hogwarts just to bust Harry Potter. Um, Here's the thing about this scene is bananas. This is like fucking SVU type shit. Dun, dun. It's like it's all about trying to get a confession. Yeah. And like being slippery with your language. Yes. And like you have like seven cops in a room with one teenage witness. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, oh, this whole thing gave me kind of the creeps. It's like, I know that they're trying to pull and pin it on Harry, and it's like all about pinning it on Dumbledore, which has much larger government repercussions. But you're still like your seven grown government officials in a school right now trying to shake down a teenager. Yeah. Ugh. I don't, uh, not, this whole not thing super good. Was, was weird. So, yeah, you're right. Basically, they sit Harry down and they try to, Fudge tries to get him to confess to what he's been doing. Harry was about to just be, you know, angsty Harry and be like, do you know why you're in here? And be like, yeah, I know I'm in here. But before he can do that, he sees Dumbledore very slightly looking over Harry's shoulder, very slightly move his head to the right and to the left to shake no. So halfway through Harry going, yeah, he says no and just plays dumb. 
you basically find out that Fudge is trying to just get a confession out of Harry and it's not going to work. He keeps denying and denying and denying. But then they bring in their informant, which I thought was going to be Malfoy. Everyone thinks it's going to be Malfoy. Yeah. Turns out it's Marietta. So it's Cho Chang's Ravenclaw friend that giggles all the time. You find <laughs> out that she snitched to Umbridge. They don't explain why, and I don't understand why. I don't know what she has to gain from this. But she snitches to Umbridge, and because of that, she gets the crazy bad acne thing that Hermione put on the parchment. And what it is is it's purple boils that pus on her face that spell out the word sneak, which is Oh, Terrible. man. Damn, Hermione. Damn. Get him. So they're trying to get Marietta to say what she told, told Umbridge, but she doesn't want to say anything more because she's afraid that the jinx is going to get worse. So he notices Kingsley Shacklebolt like kind of fidgeting while this is going on. And Harry's confused about what this is. You'll learn later. But basically, Fudge and Umbridge ask Marietta direct like yes or no questions. Were these meetings going on for six months? And she says no. And they were like, what? Because they were going to try to get the fact that they know that Harry was met with the kids to form this group in the Hogshead because there was this guy. What, what was his name? Like Willie something? Yeah, I'm looking at this right now. Willie Wittershins. Willie Wittershins. This was he, also the wait. This was the language thing that I was telling you about. Okay. Okay. So yeah, Fudge yeah. says. Oh, said Fudge, bouncing up and down to the balls of his feet. Yes, do. Let's hear the latest cock and bull story designed to pull Potter out of trouble. Oh, that's like a thing, though. That's like a But phrase. like they say cock and bull twice in twice. like two chapters. They do. They do. And I'm like, that's. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Who's this cock and bull in the British middle of your people. YA novel? British people. <laughs> I guess, but it stood out to me. I wrote it down. I'm like, cock and bull, question mark? <laughs> Twice, in two chapters. I looked it up. I didn't know what it was. Yeah, it's it's, I, it's like a phrase. I assumed it was bullshit, but at the same time, it was like... Mm. it's you. Yeah, there's definitely less suggestive ways to phrase. There's lots of synonyms out there that J.K. Rowling could have rolled. Yeah, up. thanks, Cornelius Fudge, Minister of Magic. He says <laughs> cock and bull in his, in his school. Minister of Magic does sound like the lamest title ever. Like, <laughs> it's the worst version of president or prime minister. Minister of Magic? Ugh, kill me. Sounds True. so lame. Especially when um, when Fudge has to meet with the prime minister. Yep. So I can only imagine there was, like, a photo taken for, like, the Daily Prophet. And it's like, it's like prime, prime minister and prime minister, minister and minister of magic together meeting, meeting to talk about the Azkaban breakout. And I'm like, lol. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so they ask him about Willie Windershins in yeah. the Willie in the, in the Hogshead basically said overheard the entire conversation. But then Dumbledore brings up, "Hey, look, that happened two days before that decree came out." And when he brings this up, they describe Percy's face as being looked like he just got hit in the face with a brick. He <laughs> looked like, <laughs> like something heavy. Yeah, love that. <laughs> and then the next thing you say, it's it. <laughs> This end is really funny. Percy looks like looked as though he'd been struck in the face by something very heavy. And then the next word is fudge. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's a new sentence, but I do like the fact that it's like he looked like he got hit in the face with heavy fudge. With a big, a big chunk of fudge. <laughs> Percy looked like he got hit in the face with some fudge. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So Basically, that's when they turn and they they ask Marietta, well, if we can get her to admit that these meetings have been going on past this first initial one, then they'll be in trouble. But she she says no, that they didn't. And they're very confused and upset about this. It looks like they're going to get off scot-free. But then they admit that Pansy Parkinson checked out the room after all the kids left and the piece of paper with everyone's name on it, with Dumbledore's army written in big script at the top, is still in the room. No one grabbed it, which is dumb. So they bring that in, and then Dumbledore, rather than let Harry take the fall for it, gets an idea, because it's Dumbledore's army, and he takes the full blow. I don't believe this. I don't believe that they would believe him. Yeah, I'm this. very surprised that they went along with it and believed it so quickly. I really thought they were going to try to call shenanigans. Dumbledore basically is just like, it says Dumbledore's army, not Potter's army. Get me in trouble, not him. And they're like, yeah, okay. I know that it's like, <laughs> he, it, it seems like he painted himself into a corner, maybe. And like, this is ultimately what they want. They want uh -huh. Dumbledore out so that Umbridge can be 
um, headmaster. Yeah, headmaster, and they do whatever they want. But like, this is so. That is a cock and bull story. <laughs> like it's like it's very flimsy. Yeah, if they looked at it later, that wouldn't hold up. And I mean, the whole like they're trying to get him with government shenanigans. So yeah. it's like even they later if they tried to prove that it just wouldn't hold up. Yeah. So basically, Dumbledore makes up a fake story about how he put this group together. He's been plotting against Fudge. They start freaking out like, oh, Percy, did you get that down? Like, write two copies of it. Send one to the prophet. If we get it out there quick, we can get it in the morning paper. Like all this crap. They just completely go along with it. And then Dumbledore has this great thing where he's like, oh, yeah, you thought you were going to get Harry in trouble. But now you get to send me to Azkaban. He says it's like losing a whatever their version of a not galleon is and finding a galleon. <laughs> losing a sickle and finding a galleon, isn't it? Yeah. They say something about putting him in Azkaban. And then Dumbledore is like, oh, there's only one problem, Fudge. And he's like, what's that? He's like, you're assuming that I am going to, oh, what's the phrase? Come quietly. Amazing. So then basically there's this amazing weird thing where like the minister tries to send the two bodyguards to arrest him. Dumbledore uses this spell that like shoots out a streak of silver light, which like knocks everyone out except for McGonagall, Harry, and Marietta, and then Dumbledore. And then Dumbledore basically has to be like, look, McGonagall, you're taking over the school. You're going to be great. I got to get out of here. Harry, it's going to be fine. Don't worry. I got this. No big deal. And then, but everyone just has to act like there's been no time in between this. Like I just knocked them out on the ground and ran away. So just shut up, go along with it. Everything's going to be fine. And he even brings up the point. He's like, Fudge is going to wish that he hadn't kicked me out of Hogwarts because I will be able to do much more outside of the school than within it. And then he leaves and then the people wake up. They're very confused about what went down, and that is the end of chapter 27, and it's also the end of this episode of Potterless. Hey. How you feeling? How you feeling there, Eric? I, uh, man, Dumbledore, at the end of this sequence, <laughs> man, he, he just turns on the superhero mode when he needs to, right? Yep, he really does. He's just like, you forget that he's the most powerful most wizard powerful. of all time, because mm -hmm. he's like an old man who hangs out in his tower and plays with his <laughs> phoenix. Um <laughs> But then he, like, just fucks everyone up. Real easily. And I guess, like, it's really frustrating, especially in this book, how we get a lot of, in the first three books of the trilogy, it was a lot of hands-on Dumbledore talking with Harry, walking him through what's going on with him, and, like, using him for good. And that's the whole point of Dumbledore's army, that, like, it seems like he's um, handcuffed. Right. Yes. But now, like Dumbledore is finally acting on this fact. It's like there is a reason why I'm only talking to you in codes because, yeah. like, I have to do some cool government ship and be a spy and like also be a fucking Tom Cruise badass type of guy. Yeah, he's super badass and even like smack talks the other dude. He's like, look, I'm sure you're a great or but I'm motherfucking Dumbledore. <laughs> Sorry, if you forgot, I'm Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Glad we're getting badass Dumbledore. I am stoked to see the kind of shenanigans he pulls outside the walls of Hogwarts. But Eric, thank you so much for joining oh, along. Shubes. I love being a part of this. I'm glad. I'm glad we laughed for 12 minutes consecutively. Oh my God, that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Super good times. But yeah, listeners, but. thank you so much for listening. If you want to find more Eric, check out Join the Party. It's yeah. a fun D&D &D podcast that a bunch of my friends are on. And even if you don't like Dungeons and Dragons, it's really great if you just like captivating stories. And if you want to learn about Dungeons and Dragons, it's a great way to do that, too. It's a good time. Can't recommend it enough. The thing that I thought the most about this last scene was actually I wanted to see how this would play out if you were playing D&D. &D. Oh. Like, how would you let people escape? How would you have the time frame? And it's really something you can do. Um, we're just trying to tell stories. And we use a game mechanic and rolling some dice just to do it. Yeah. Um, we got a robot, we got an evangelist, and we got a cool skater team. What's not to love? Um, and there's me. Yeah, what's not to love? Blah, blah, blah. So you can check that out on all your favorite podcasting apps. Join the party. But until next time, listeners, thank you for listening. Eric, thank you for joining. No problem. And as they say in Hogwarts, after Emp they give empathy to empathy everyone, on. after empathy they say on. empathy on, they say wizard, wizard on. on. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
Powderless Podcast can be found on any of your preferred podcasting apps, including Spotify. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Powderless Podcast. Powderless was created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert, as well as Leanne Davis, Andreas Ozelby, Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Erica and Calvin Bauer, Michael Vanderslay, Sadie Bear, Emily Whiffen, Chandra Cruz, Jesse Horgan, Maggie Zobazek, Natalie Klobuchar, Deborah Wilkes, Daisy Carton, Stoddard, Klaus Lope, Michael Butte, Sean Jones, Alexander Stark, and Rebecca Adamek. Web designed by Kelly Beckman, and the music is by Bettina Campomanes. If you want any other information about Potterless Podcast, just go to potterlesspodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, wizard on! <laughs>